Well, a very pleasant, good Sunday morning to each one of you. Thank you for being here today to worship our God with His people. I'm so glad that I am speaking this morning in this particular hour and for a couple of reasons I am glad. Number one, I'm glad that I did not have to immediately follow Phil Robertson. Uh, usually the visiting preacher, everybody is ooh and ah and everybody is so uh, excited about hearing someone new. And I certainly was excited to hear Phil. It has been a number of years since I uh, had been around him. He and I uh, had the opportunity to uh, both work and to do the Lord's work in the Birmingham area a number of years ago in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, but it was good for me to uh, spend some time with him again. But the second reason I'm glad that I am speaking in this hour and not the nine o'clock hour is because all of us lost an hour last night. <laughs> and I'm still looking for that extra hour this morning because I'm still a little bit uh, groggy today. Uh, but truly, it is a blessing for us, to, it is a joy for us to be able to assemble together to have the health and the strength, and for God to have given us the time to come together to offer our worship to Him. I'm sure a number of us have been aware, well aware of what has been going on in our world over the last few weeks, the tragedy of war that is taking place on the other side of this planet. Uh, I have... A number of years ago, Anna and I kind of divorced ourselves from watching the news. And guess what? Our lives have been a lot happier uh, because most of the news that is given these days is just negative, negative, negative. But I still have seen what has been going on in bits and pieces, and it just breaks our hearts. It should. And we may have been watching some of those newscasts, even you don't have to be a subscriber to cable anymore. You can just have internet access these days and you can uh, see even uh, just real-time video footage of what is going on in the country of Ukraine. And as we have watched some of that, as we have read stories of those families that have been ripped apart, a father staying behind to fight for the country of Ukraine while he sends his wife and daughter and son, his children away to another country, as we have watched all of that and witnessed all of that, we might have been thinking, you know, if someone were to ask us the question, what do the people of Ukraine need the most right now? How would we answer that question? Would we say if somebody asked us that question today, well, they obviously need food and clothing and shelter. They need the basic necessities of life. Would we say what those people in Ukraine need the most right now? They need money so that they can buy the necessities that they need. Would we say as, as we have maybe watched again or read some just heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching stories of what those people in that country are experiencing right now, would we say, well, what they really need right now is a shoulder to cry on. They just need a friend who would sympathize with them, who would encourage them. While there's no doubt in my mind that many Ukrainians are in desperate need of those very things that we just mentioned that we could give an answer to that question, I'm asking you this morning, are any of those needs what those people need the most. 
and is what they need in that war-torn country the most, what everyone else around the world needs the most. What is it that people need the most? This morning I want us to take those questions to the book of Acts. And as we look into that book, I want us to see the answer that it would give to this question. And I believe as we look at the book of Acts this morning, we will find that what people need the most is the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) Yes, the people in Ukraine have a multitude of needs right now. But what they and everyone else who is living on this planet called earth needs the most is the Lord. As we take a quick tour through the book of Acts this morning, we want to focus on just four of the many types of people who need the Lord. First of all, I would suggest to you that those who are guilty people, that they stand guilty before God, they are people who need the Lord. If you have your Bible open there to the book of Acts, to open first of all to chapter 2 this morning. In Acts chapter 2, I want us to begin reading at verse 22. I'm sure this is a Very, very familiar text to all of us, even perhaps the young ones that are here among us this morning. As we think of what is often called the first gospel sermon, uh, that Peter and the apostles here on the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up, it seems, as the spokesman for the group of the twelve, and he preaches Christ. And I want to pick up his message here beginning at verse 22. He said, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power." For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make make me full of gladness with your presence. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised him up, God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That was the sermon, at least, the part of it that Luke chose to record for us. Now we see the reaction of the crowd here as Peter is speaking these words about the Christ. Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? 
Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who, were, who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. I want you to think about just for a moment, and I'm sure that we all know this, but maybe sometimes we forget when we come to this section of the book of Acts in Acts chapter 2, just to think for a moment about the audience that Peter is speaking to here that he is addressing. The audience consisted of Jews. We read earlier back in chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, that these were Jews and these were proselytes, Gentiles who had become Jews. They were Jews and proselytes from all over the world that had come to the city of Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. That tells us that they were religious people, that they were people who knew something about Jehovah God. But it also tells us, as Peter was making very plain here in this sermon, that these people, yes, they were religious people, but they were also guilty people. Notice that Peter pointedly says to them twice in this sermon that you, this audience that he is addressing here, you are the ones who have crucified the Son of God. At least, again, the portion that Luke records for us, and I say the portion that he gives us, because as we just read in verse 40, Luke goes on to say, with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them to be saved from this evil, perverse generation. There are other words that Peter spoke here that are not recorded for us. But notice what is recorded for us, how Peter begins the sermon here in Acts chapter 2 and how he ends the sermon. At verse 23, he says, about this man, the one whom you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men, and you put him to death. And then as Peter is wrapping up his sermon, again he says at verse 36 about the one that God has made Lord in Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter wasn't beating around the bush here, was he? He was very specific, very pointed in saying, you Jews who are listening to me speak about this man, you are the ones who crucified him. And so Peter preached the good news of Jesus Christ to them on this occasion. That even though they were responsible, even though they had put the Son of God to death, that God raised him from the dead. And God raised him from the dead and now he is reigning at the Father's right hand as both Lord and Christ. In essence, I believe Peter throughout this sermon, kind of his whole point of the sermon is this, that you are guilty people. You crucified the Son of God. Now, were any of these Jews in this audience, were they physically there at the cross? Were they putting the nails, driving the nails into the hands and feet of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Probably not. That was the soldiers that did that. And yet they were still accountable. They were still responsible for that. And he was saying that you are guilty people and you guilty people need Jesus. You need the forgiveness that only Jesus Christ can give you. You need to repent of your sins, of crucifying the Christ on the cross. You need to be baptized in His name so that you will be forgiven of your sins. These people were guilty people. And what did Peter say to them in essence here in this sermon? 
He said, you need the Lord Jesus Christ. We interact with guilty people every day, don't we? I mean, if we're honest, we ourselves have sinned against God. (laughs) We ourselves, on some occasions in our life, have stood guilty, condemned before God. But the world in which we live is a world full of sinners. It is a world full of people that are guilty of all kinds of sins. And so we interact with those people as we go to school, as we go to work, as we talk to our neighbors, as we go to the the grocery store, as we're playing sports on the ball field. Wherever it is in life, we are interacting with guilty people every day. And sometimes we may think that perhaps those people are just too far gone. They, They are so steeped in sin that their guilt, if you will, their pile of guilt has piled up so high that they are just too far gone. But Acts chapter 2 and many other places in the Bible tell us they are not too far gone. They have a need, as we all have a need. And what those guilty people need is exactly what the guilty people in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost need. They need the Lord Jesus Christ. They need to humble themselves before God and repent of their sins. They need to be baptized into Jesus Christ so that they can have their sins forgiven. They need to be washed clean of their guilt. Guilty people need the Lord. We need to remember that as we live in a world full of guilty people. They may need money. They may need food. They may need a shoulder to cry on, a sympathetic ear, and we can give them all of those things. I'm not saying that we shouldn't, but what they need the most is the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, as we continue looking here in the book of Acts, we will find that religious people need the Lord as well. Turn over maybe a page or so in your Bible to chapter 4 here in the book of Acts, chapter 4. Chapter 3, of course, is Peter and John in the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, They have had an opportunity to heal a man. Uh, Kind of interesting there uh, back in chapter 3, this man was looking for money. But they say, we don't have gold or silver, but what we do have we're going to give to you. And we have the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they took that as an opportunity to to preach. Kind of a, a very similar sermon that is preached here in Acts 3 as to what we just read in Acts chapter 2. The religious leaders hear of of what is going on, and they arrest Peter and John and put them in jail. They're trying to put a stop to all of this. And let's pick up there at verse 5 of Acts chapter 4. Luke says to us, On the next day their scribes and uh, their, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, By what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, God raised him from the dead by this name. This man here stands here before you in good health. He is a stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, 
For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Again, as we thought about there in Acts chapter 2, who was in that audience on the day of Pentecost? It was Jews and proselytes from all over the world. Who is in the audience here as Peter and John have an opportunity to speak about Jesus Christ? Well, it's the Jewish leadership, isn't it? And the Jewish leadership was comprised of very religious people. That These were people who were very zealous for their religion. This audience, as Luke tells us here in this chapter, they included a number of these religious leaders. There were elders, there were scribes, uh, there were those who were of high priestly descent. Even the high priest himself is here. These people knew, again, Jehovah God, just like those people that we read about a moment ago in Acts chapter 2. They were religious people. They knew the law of Moses. At least they should have known the law of Moses, being leaders of God's people. And yet, this audience that is gathered here in the council, they do not know Jesus. They do not believe in Jesus as the Christ. And so Peter takes this opportunity, once again, just like he did back in Acts chapter 2, to preach Jesus to them. Much like he did in that earlier sermon, Peter told this audience of religious leaders, of religious people, that they had rejected the Christ, that they had crucified the Christ. Uh, Notice again, as he says uh, back in verse 10, uh, let it be known to you, to all of you, and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus the Nazarene, whom you crucified, He he is making this very personal to these leaders in saying that, yes, again, you may not have stood there at the cross and physically, literally nailed, put those nails in our Lord's hands and feet, but you were the ones who stirred up the mob to say, crucify, crucify, the same mob that just a few hours before when Jesus said, made the triumphal entry, as we often call it, into the city of Jerusalem, they were shouting, Hosanna. But the religious leaders had turned the people against Jesus As being the Christ. He told them, you have rejected the Christ. You have crucified him. But again, as he said back in Acts chapter 2, God raised him from the dead. He is alive. And because all that was true, I believe Peter was telling this audience, as he wanted again all Jews to know, that these religious leaders needed to be saved in his name. That is, that they needed to submit themselves to the rule and the reign and the authority of Jesus Christ in their life, that there is salvation in no other name. It was as if Peter were saying here in Acts chapter 4 that neither Abraham nor Moses nor David nor any other revered Jew can save you. Only Jesus can save you, therefore you need Jesus. Very, very religious people. But they needed Jesus and His salvation. Just like we run into guilty people every day of our lives, I think many of us, at least living in this part of the country, we run into a lot of religious people almost on an everyday basis. They, they are people who maybe are like the religious leaders that are mentioned here in Acts chapter 4. They are very zealous people. They're very enthusiastic They're very devoted to whatever their religion is. But but lest we pass them by thinking, you know, those folks, they already believe in God. They already know something about Jehovah. They, They already believe in the Bible being the inspired word of God. 
Lest we pass by them and think all of those thoughts in our minds, we need to come to see that these people, even though they are religious, if they are not true Christians, they too need the Lord desperately because without Him they cannot be saved. Again, what Peter said to us in verse 12 of this text, there is salvation in no other name. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. And so we need to be talking to religious people about the Lord because they desperately need Him. Thirdly, as we continue looking through the book of Acts over into chapter 8, we find that those whom the world has rejected, rejected people need the Lord. In Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 4, listen to what Luke says here after Stephen has made that, uh, preached his great sermon in chapter 7 and been stoned to death and Saul is involved in persecuting the church. Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 4, Luke says, Therefore those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who, were un, uh, who had unclean spirits, they were coming out, coming out of them shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. You read in the next few verses about this man named Simon. I think we're all familiar with him and how he even uh, once had been lauded and praised as having the power of God. But he listened to Philip and he was baptized in Christ. Let's pick up there at verse 12. Luke goes on to say, When they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized men and women alike. Philip, because of the persecution that has come to Jerusalem, the, the church there scatters. And it says to us in the first couple of verses of chapter 8, and only the apostles remain there in Jerusalem. But everybody else goes to different places in the world. And we read about one of those places here in this chapter, the land of Samaria, the nation of Samaria. And here is Philip, one of the seven that was chosen to be a servant to the church in Jerusalem back in chapter 6 to serve the needs of the widows. Here he is going down to the city of Samaria. And what does he do there at verse 5? He begins to proclaim Christ to those people. He's no longer, this is not the same audience that we have already talked about so far from the book of Acts, from Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4. It's not Jews. But he has gone to speak to Samaritans. What do we know about Samaritans? They were an oppressed people, weren't they? They were a people whom the Jews had rejected. In fact, as you think back in your mind, just one quick example of this to John chapter 4, and I think all of us, or at least many of us, should be familiar with that account, that conversation that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman at the well. And the text tells us there in John chapter 4 that Jesus had to go through Samaria. But their custom was that they were going from Galilee down to Judea or Judea to Galilee, that they would go across the Jordan River and pass on the east side and come back over the Jordan River to one of those two regions just so that they wouldn't have to go through the, the territory, the land of Samaria. Because Jews just despise Samaritans. They were a rejected people. But here is Philip coming to this oppressed, rejected people. And although his Jewish culture told him that 
that these people maybe were half-breeds, these people who were lower than dirt, Philip knew that they needed Jesus the Christ. He knew that these Samaritans needed what the people back in Acts 4 and Acts chapter 2 needed. And so he gave them Jesus. Notice what Luke tells us here in the verses we just read, that Philip on this occasion proclaimed Christ to them in verse 5, which I believe we can infer included their need to believe in God's good news message and to be baptized again in the name of Christ, that there is salvation in no other name except the name of Christ. Philip could have looked at these people and written them off and said they're not worthy of salvation. I'm just going to pass them by and I'm going to go to somewhere else in the world. But he did not. He preached the good news, proclaiming the kingdom of God to them. Most likely we encounter people like this fairly often. Maybe it's not every day, but I would say it is fairly often in our life. These are people whom the world has rejected. These are people who the world sees as outcast. These are people whom the world has mistreated. These are folks whom the world has discriminated against on the basis of all kinds of human barriers that we have put up. Maybe the world has rejected a certain person or mistreated them or discriminated against them based on their nationality. It may be based on the basis of their ethnicity. It may be on the basis of their skin color. It may be on the basis of their eco, uh, economic status. It may be on the basis of their educational achievement or attainment. And all kinds of, of things that are worldly people think about to divide us and to separate us into many different categories. And we encounter those people every day. And though we may look at at least some of those people, maybe we look at the, the beggar on the street corner and we think what that guy needs is money or he needs food or he needs a job or he needs an education. I would suggest to you that we learn from the book of Acts that what rejected people need the most is the Lord. The Lord Jesus the Christ. If they come to him, Jesus is not going to reject them. God will gladly, readily receive them into his family, into his fold. But fourthly and finally, as we continue thinking from the book of Acts about the kind of people that need the Lord, I would suggest to you that what we would describe oftentimes as good people, they need the Lord as well. Acts chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. Luke says to us there, Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius. And fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Drop down uh, to verse 30. Here in Acts chapter 10 at verse 30, let's pick up, pick up the reading there. Cornelius said, Four days ago to this hour I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. 
Therefore send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent to you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation the man who, he- who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is, to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Verse 48, the last verse of this chapter, Luke tells us that he, Peter, ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and they asked him to stay on for a few days. If we had to describe Cornelius, how would we describe him? How does the text describe him? How does God describe him? We might say that Cornelius was just kind of the picture-perfect image of a good person. Here is a man who is God-fearing. Here is a man who is devoted to God. Here is a man who is influential in his community and bringing others to know the, the Lord, to hear the Lord's word. Here is a generous man He gave alms to the people. And here is a man with all of those characteristics, but here is a man who truly is an honest seeker of truth. Here is a man who really wants to know what God's will is. And yet, even all these great attributes and characteristics are said about him in this text. He too needed the Lord in his life. Although the messengers, as we, we didn't read this verse, but back in verse 22, the messengers that Cornelius sent to, to Peter to get Peter to come to him and preach the gospel to him, those all, all of those messengers told Peter that Cornelius was a very good man. But when Peter started speaking to Cornelius, he did not say to him, you're such a good man. You really don't need anything else. Your good life is going to save you. You, You've got all the bases covered. You're you're God-fearing. You're devoted. You are generous. You, You pray to God. There's nothing else that you need to do. Peter did not say that. No, Peter said to him that God welcomes any and all who are good, those who fear him and those who are doing what is right, but he welcomes those People through faith in Jesus the Christ, his son. And so what you need to do is to have faith in Jesus Christ and you need to show that faith by being willing to be baptized into Christ so that you too can be forgiven of your sins, that you can be made clean. In essence, I believe some of the things that we just read here in verses 34 through 43 as Luke gives us 
the words that Peter spoke to Cornelius and his household and his friends and all those who had gathered to hear the word of the Lord on this occasion, very similar in many ways to what Peter preached back on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 and what he said to the religious leaders in Acts 4. Slight variation here, he's talking to Gentiles and so he says, doesn't say you crucified the Christ, but he says they, the Jews. But he basically says to this audience of Gentiles that have come together in Cornelius' house that you too, you too need Jesus. We see, quote, good people every day. Maybe they are religious people, maybe they're not. But they are people who, in our estimation and our knowledge of them, that they have godly morals, that they are people who are very generous with the resources and the gifts that God has given to them. They are people who are doing good to other people. They are people who maybe even may pray to God and acknowledge God in their life. And we see those kind of people every day, again, at work, at school, as we go about our daily activities, we run into what we would describe as good people, people who may fit the description of Cornelius as is given to us here in Acts 10. However, without Jesus Christ, their good life is not going to save them. It is not their own goodness that saves them from their sins. It is not our own goodness that saves us from our sins. We can do all the good acts that we want to do in our life, and we should be doing those. Because we are God's workmanship, <laughs> created in Christ Jesus for good works. But without Jesus Christ and a relationship with Jesus Christ, none of those good things are going to save them or us. And so these, quote, good people need the Lord as well. But we may be thinking in our mind, well, they're such good people. <laughs> that they just seem to, you know, they're, they're almost there. They, they're as was described, I think, in one of the gospel accounts, they, as Jesus said to one individual, you're not far from the kingdom of God. That may be true, but they're not yet in the kingdom of God because they have not submitted their will to the will of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They do not know God through knowing His Son, Jesus the Christ. Many more examples I'm sure you could even be thinking of this morning, and perhaps that you are of people you know, and all of us who are people need the Lord. As we conclude our sermon this morning, I, I want to read the words of a, a spiritual song that was written almost 40 years ago. I don't know if any of you have heard this. I've never seen it in a book. I've just uh, listened to it as I like to listen to uh, religious songs from time to time. But here are the words of that song at least a few of those words, it says, people need the Lord. People need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, He's the only door. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. When will we realize that people need the Lord? While we may realize that some people, yes, even many people, they need life's necessities right now, those poor people in Ukraine, people in our own country that are just barely scraping by. We may realize that they need life's necessities right now, and perhaps we will be in a position to help them in that regard. 
Let us, brothers and sisters, also realize that what all people need, including us, more than anything or anyone else in this life, is to know the Son of God, is to know the Lord Jesus Christ. What about you this morning as we conclude our sermon? Do you need the Lord? You may be thinking to yourself, and maybe you're not a Christian, but you're thinking to yourself and you're comparing yourself to our, our wicked, our evil and perverse generation that we're living in. You say, I'm, I'm not that bad. <laughs> you know, I, I'm a cut above or several cuts above everybody else. They're, they're kind of down here. I, I'm, I'm doing just fine in my life. I really don't need anyone or anything else. If you're thinking that way, you're fooling yourself. You may be sitting here this morning thinking, well, I'm religious. You know, my parents have, quote, brought me to church. They brought me to the assemblies of God's people all my life. And, and, and I know about God. I know about Jesus. And, but you just haven't made the decision to become a Christian yet and to submit yourself to him. And you may be thinking to yourself, I'm a religious person. That's good enough. No, you're not thinking right because you need the Lord. If you're not a child of God this morning, I want you to know that God loves you so much and loves each one of us so much that he sent his one and only son here to help us know God better. But he sent his one and only son here to be the sacrifice for our sins, to give his life on the cross so that each one of us can know him fully. And we can be adopted into his family. Jesus said about himself that he is the way, the truth, the life. He's the only way that we can get to the Father. What about you this morning? Do you need to become a child of God? If you have not done that, if you have not confessed your faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, we would invite you to take advantage of this opportunity this morning to do that very thing. And to turn away from all of your sins. To say you're done with that kind of life. And then to be washed clean in the waters of baptism. And enter into a relationship with God. With his son Jesus Christ. If you have done that. And you have turned away. You have fallen off the path. You need to get back. And if you need the prayers and encouragement of your brethren here to do that. We stand ready and willing to do that for you this morning. But do not walk out of this building this morning knowing that your greatest need has not been met because God has made all the provisions necessary for it to be met. As we're about to sing this song of invitation, there is power in the blood. If you see a need that only Jesus Christ can fill, wouldn't you respond to his invitation now as we stand and as we sing?